Good morning. Well, that was my sermon right there, so uh, have a great night. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, Before we begin, John asked if I would share a little bit, just kind of an update of what is going on in my life and ministry. Um, I wrote the weekly a couple weeks ago out of a place of a lot of anxiety and a lot of turmoil happening um, in my work. And then, so I think all of you guys know I'm the Director of Youth Development at the Bloomington Normal YMCA and have been serving in that position for a little over two and a half years. And in that position... uh, during normal life, you know, I'm in charge of after school program, our summer camp program, um, community outreach. I tend to get thrown into the, like, if someone needs to do an invocation or a prayer or something like that at an, at an event, I pull out my reverend card and use that. Um, but during COVID time, that has looked pretty different. We've basically been doing summer camp for the last six months. And it started out with kind of an emergency child care, which led into a different looking summer camp program, and now has led to a program we call Y Academy. And Y Academy, we are serving about 130 kids at Unit 5 schools, um, doing e-learning and recreation and mentoring and basically just trying to navigate technology and navigate nine different schedules for nine kids in a group as they're trying to navigate online school. So it's crazy and it's a lot. Um, Well, if you follow the news at all, you'll know that on Thursday, Unit 5 announced that they are going to be going back to school on the 19th or starting the 19th for a hybrid type situation. And so that throws a whole another wrench in our life, um, and I ask for continued prayers as we figure out what that looks like, how we continue to serve the 130 kids who will be in school two days a week and not in school three days a week, um, how we continue to serve those kids who haven't been part of that program but now are going to be going to school and we do after school program for them, or Wednesdays, what that looks like. And then Unit 5 has actually asked a pretty big ask of us to help with teachers and so, and their kids. And so we're figuring out what that looks like. And so just ask for a lot more prayer as things continue to shift and continue to change um, and continue to be very anxiety-ridden for parents and administrators and for us at the Y as we figure it all out. Um, But I truly do believe that God is present in it and uh, truly feel like this passage today actually does speak a lot to our life in the world that we're in today. Um, I was actually going to start by talking a little bit also about how as I was driving here today, I noticed for the first time that the trees are changing. Have you guys seen that? Have you noticed that the trees are changing? Um, Maybe living in the middle of a city, maybe pulling a pace of a thousand miles per hour, I I haven't noticed that. But as I was coming out of um, Two towns over from Goodfield. Carlock, is that what that is? Yeah, as I was coming out of Carlock um, on 150 and down a hill, there was a whole bank of trees in front of me. And some were still very green, but the reds and the oranges and the purples were starting to pop out. And I realized, had this feeling probably from the Holy Spirit in that moment, that the change of season can be beautiful and can be life-giving. And it was a reminder that we are not stuck in this season all the time that seasons do change. And so as we enter into today's word, I want to bring that word of hope 
that in the midst of a wilderness season, that seasons do change and that there is hope of change. And so as we enter into today's text, I ask that you join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you for your presence here with us today. Holy Spirit, descend upon this place. Fill us with your wisdom. Fill us with your insight. Fill us with your clarity. And may the words of my mouth, Lord, and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. John, do we have a pen I can use? Awesome. Nope. Uh, I'm going to do a little art for you guys. Perfect. Oh, that's okay. I can write right over it. We're good. Yep. So I want to give you guys a little insight onto how I write a sermon, because this might help a little bit as we lead into um, this passage. So often when I come to a text, I start by mapping out the text. And I'll do this on paper. I'll do it in the shower with shower crayons on the wall. Um, But I don't have any shower crayons right now, so unfortunately it's on paper. But I always come to it in a way of creativity and finding how God is speaking by mapping it out. And I feel like this passage really can use some mapping. So I want to lead us through a time of mapping. If you have paper and you want to map out the text with me, you're welcome to. I'm also going to do it up here on the board. Um, So the text starts, well, first of all, the context, right? In chapter 16, the people of Israel get manna. And that color cannot really be seen, can it? So we're going to choose a different color. So God provides manna. They're hungry, and God provides manna. It's this weird substance that's coming from the sky, and it's kind of like dew on the ground, and they pick it up, and it only lasts for that day. And God provides enough for that day. So chapter 17 comes out of manna, out of God providing And the Israelites find themselves on an adventure again. They're heading out of their encampment into a new place. And they journey together through the wilderness to a town that starts with an R that I don't actually know how to pronounce, but we'll call it Rephibim. And in Rephibim, they set up camp, but there's no water And you would think that after the manna, that the Israelites would believe that God was going to provide water because they just experienced this beautiful picture of God providing for them. But instead, the Israelites complain. They grumble, they complain, they throw a fit. And it is so much of a fit that Moses is afraid. Did I spell that right? Uh, Nope, not at all. All right, so Moses is afraid. And Moses is so afraid that he crawls up to God 
And he says, God, help. And in that moment, God says two things. God says, Moses, I'm going to call you to leadership. And I'm going to provide. And from Moses' leadership and God's provision, there is water. So that's the picture of our story today. All right? We've got people who would just receive manna, are on an adventure, they set up camp, there's no water, they freak out. To the point that Moses gets scared, he calls to God for help, and God says, hey, I'm calling you to leadership, and in that leadership, I'm going to provide. And out of that comes water. And so really, there's three parts to today's text. The first is that of the attitude of the Israelites. The Israelites are thirsty. I would be too. That's a long journey, right? They're in a desert. They're thirsty. They're grum and as they get thirstier, they, continue, they start to grumble. They start to complain. And then they start to fight. And as they fight, it becomes much more than just a normal, small little controversy. It becomes a controversy that is large enough to cause fear. I'm thinking that it's a lot like groupthink. One person starts it and everybody gets involved. It's kind of like a boulder rolling down a hill, a snowball, an avalanche that gets bigger and bigger and bigger as it goes. They've just received manna. They should know that God will provide. And yet they are ticked and probably terrified that nothing is going to come of it. And so they get angry. This reminds me a lot of our season of wilderness that we find ourselves in today. We find ourselves in a season of wilderness of six months of COVID crazy. We find ourselves in a season of wilderness of much political controversy, of racial injustice and hurt, of violence in communities, of unemployment rates soaring and dropping and soaring and dropping, of illness and death, of no end in sight for the craziness of our wilderness. We find ourselves adapting an attitude of complaining because we're thirsty and there's no water. We're hungry and we don't remember the manna. Terence E. Fretherham, in his commentary on Exodus, writes, This is a community on the move from a past act of redemption toward a promise goal. But promise is still promise, not fulfillment. And when the goal is no longer days or weeks away, but months or years, it is easy to lose one's moorings. These wilderness stories are increasingly about a people stuck between promise and fulfillment. Wilderness is no longer simply a place, but a state of mind. Wilderness is no longer a place, but a state of mind. I think we can all relate to that right now. 
no matter where you physically are, the stability around you physically, the wilderness of our society, of our culture, of our world right now, that state of mind of no end in sight plays a huge toll on our sense of stability, our sense of sanity. And I can't speak for you, but I know that my attitude isn't much different than the Israelites right now. Between wandering through the craziness of work in COVID and still dealing with past hurt and trauma, being 2,000 miles away from my family, not knowing the next time I'll see them, dealing with the political and divisiveness of our country right now, and constantly watching the news, even though I know I shouldn't. I'm tired. I'm empty. I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. Insert other very real emotions here, right? And at any chance, I let you know how I feel about things, even when I don't mean to. Because the reality is that wilderness brings out the best and it brings out the worst in us. And we see this in the Israelites and we experience this in our own life. That this season of wilderness can be divisive, it can be unifying, it can be devastating, and it can be empowering. It can be divisive. I don't even have to name how it can be divisive. Take a moment. I'm going to give you 10 seconds, and I want you to name every way that this wilderness season is divisive in your own head, and then hold up the number on your fingers of the ways that you came up with. How is this wilderness season right now divisive? Hold up your number. Those are some pretty big numbers. I've got fives, I've got sevens, I've got fours. That was 10 seconds that you took to name some pretty significant ways that this season of wilderness is divisive. It was divisive for the people of Israel, and it's divisive for us. However, this season of wilderness can also be unifying. We have a beautiful video of a way that this season of wilderness is unifying or has unified a community. Clayton to the rescue. Well, CBS's Steve Hartman has the story of one man who took care of it in his own way. Here's tonight's On the Road. Not long ago, Dave Palazzolo of Salt Lake City, Utah, got one of those smart security cameras. And almost immediately, it captured a trespasser on his driveway. You get the alert and you kind of have a, an immediate sense of anxiety. Oh, someone's going to do harm to me. That imminent threat? A four-year-old on a joyride. Every night, like clockwork. Paying person at driveway, and you're like, uh, who is it? Oh, it's just that kid again. You're interrupting my Netflix. How old are you? I'm almost 50. You're a little young to be doing the whole get off my lawn thing. I know, right? But Dave said something had to be done. So under the cover of darkness, he went out on his driveway and wrote a message to the boy that basically said, kid, you win. The next day. You can almost see the look on his face when he gets it. And then he just charges into it. This was in June. 
And from that day to now, Dave's driveway racetrack has remained. Whenever weather washes it away, he simply draws another. He even built this contraption to keep the line straight and now researches famous race courses for track authenticity. The guy really is serious about his sidewalk chalk. Make sure you get the intersection right. You know, there's a chance you're more into this now than he is. It's entirely possible. Actually, let's call it a draw. This is a new one, Dad. This is Quinn discovering Dave's latest creation. You should know, before the security camera went off that first time, Dave had never met Quinn or his family. Yet all summer, he has been helping to raise the boy in this small way. It's been amazing. Quinn's dad, Josh. Just that so we can be a part of something like that, that we can see the good side of humanity. Feels good. Oh, you're totally beating me. There are a lot of great dads out there. But the true measure of a man is not how he raises his own kids. It's how he raises the village. You totally won. Steve Hartman, CBS News, On the Road. I love that story. I saw it on Facebook a few months ago, and um, the one on Facebook, they show the entire neighborhood has come together. Kids all the way from four, like Quinn, through like junior high and high school kids are racing on these courses, and um, he's out there racing with them, and it's just this beautiful picture in a season where things can be very divisive, they also can be really unifying. I'm slightly tearing up, so I'm just going to look that way. We're going to move on. Um, so, to, you know, we live in a world right now where things are divisive. We live where they're unifying. We live in a time where things are devastating. According to the September 4th Bureau of Labor report, unemployment nationally reached almost 15% in May. It currently sits at 8.4% nationally and 11% in Illinois. 24.2 million people are unable to work because their employer closed or lost business due to the pandemic. Employment and education and health services increased by 147,000 in the month of August, but is at 1.5 million below February's level. Those numbers are devastating to our economy and to families and to people who depend on work for a livelihood. The wilderness can be devastating and yet it can be empowering. Just look around the community that we're sitting in right now and think of what people are doing for their neighbors, what people are doing for their children, how we see the youth of our society today stepping up and taking leadership in high school and college campuses, calling for racial justice, calling for equity, calling for people to get out and vote even when they're not old enough to do so. We see neighbors helping neighbors. We see kids learning in creative and new ways. We see teachers stepping outside their comfort zones and teaching and creating bitmoji classrooms so that kids can truly experience the classroom without physically being in it. We see strangers holding hands and marching for justice. We see a people empowered in a world divided. One of my favorite people who we celebrated this week, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, or the notorious RBG as we like to call her, said that so often in life, things that you regard as impediments turn out to be great good fortune. So in this season of wilderness, 
where our attitudes can be easily become that of the Israelites, where the wilderness is a state of mind that is devastating and destructive, maybe we are called to be a people who see things differently, to be more like Moses than like the Israelites. Because this story doesn't end with the people of Israel being called to a different attitude. It actually ends with the place being called a place of grumbling and testing of the Lord. It ends up being named for the attitude of the Israelites. But we have the choice of if we choose to live in a wilderness state of mind or we choose to step in to a Moses way of life. So what was Moses' way of life? What was Moses' response? Well, in verse 4, the people, so the people in verse 1 through 3 are whining and complaining and losing their minds. And in verse 4, Moses cries out to God. Moses says, God, help me. What am I to do with these people? They're ready to stone me. At first thought, when I saw that, I was like, Moses is terrified. Moses is afraid. He's scared. But he does something brave in his fear. He calls out to God. He asks for help. And asking for help is one of the most brave, sincere things that we can do as a people or society. Because it's easy to hide. It's hard to ask for help. And Moses says, God, help me. And out of that, God responds. Brevard Childs, in his commentary on the book of Exodus, writes, the people thirst and find fault with Moses. The narrative is that of creating, out of a stereotype complaint, a form which resembles genuine controversy. Out of stereotype complaints, out of this is hard, we're thirsty, becomes genuine controversy. And in the face of controversy, Moses turns to God. So our, the question for us is in the face of complaint, are we willing to turn to God? Are we willing to turn and say, God, help me? Or do we want to stay in that place of devastation and destruction? Notorious RBG says that real change, enduring change, happens one step at a time. Ginsburg knew that change only happens when we take one step at a time. And as followers of Christ, as people of the promise that is yet to be fulfilled, that step that God calls us to, just like he called Moses to, is a step of obedience, a step of asking for help, a step of saying, God, I cannot do this on my own. I cannot handle the anxiety. I cannot handle the stress. I cannot handle what feels like death. So God, help me. And in that, God uses Moses again. Because Moses has been used by God before, right? We're in chapter 17 of Exodus. We have seen God use Moses over and over and over and over and over again. God has used Moses to bring people out of Israel. He has brought them through the Red Sea. He has used Moses to be an encourager for the people. And, here, and yet Moses is still scared. Moses still experiences fear, despite the fact that God has used him. 
And God uses Moses, and God says to Moses, go out in front of the people. Go into leadership. Go lead the people. Take your staff that you use, that you've seen work before, and go to that rock. God calls Moses in the midst of his fear, and he instructs Moses to take others with him, to lead from the front, to trust a huge word right there, right? To trust that a miracle will happen and go, move. Don't sit in fear, but move. We are being called in this season of wilderness to call out to God and to trust that he will call us into leadership, whether that's leadership in our own home, leadership in our work, leadership in a community, or leadership from a back-end side, that God is saying, go. You've seen the miracles I've given to you before. Trust that that staff that you're empowered with, that gift you have, will work again. Go. And Moses follows God's instructions. He doesn't go, well, God, this is kind of weird. You're telling me to go to some rock and strike it, but Moses listens, and he follows God's instructions, and voila, water. Water comes out of a rock. Water's not supposed to come out of a rock, but water comes out of a rock. And the best part is that God is not alone, or that Moses is not alone. God is with him. God tells Moses, go, And when Moses gets there, there is God standing on the rock. As God calls Moses into leadership in the midst of his fear, God is with him and provides for him. It is evidently clear that it is not Moses who brought the water out of the rock, but it is God who was present with Moses that provided water for the people of Israel. God provided for Israel, and God will provide for us. Despite our attitudes, despite our fear, despite any division that is happening anywhere in the world, God is present. God is before us, and God is with us in the current state of wilderness. And as God is present with us, and he is standing with us, he is calling us to take the staff, to take the gifts, to take ourselves that he has used before and is promising to use now and trust that he is standing on the rock before us. Fretheim in his commentary on Exodus says, Obedience in the midst of wilderness brings order into chaos. Obedience in the midst of wilderness brings order into chaos. When we hear God's call to go, even in our fear, in our anxiety, in our mourning, when we hear that and follow that, order comes into the chaos. God brought order for the Israelites by giving them water, And he will bring order for us. I truly believe that he will provide for us in the chaos 
of our current experience. And this story ends in a very interesting way, which I kind of alluded to a little bit ago. It ends with Moses naming the place for the attitude. And so our question is, ultimately, what do we want to name the wilderness that we are in? What do we want the next generation to call the wilderness that we are in? Do we want it to be named for the memes of 2020 that fly around of people using absurd language or obscene gestures? Do we want it to be known for the devastation and the division? Do we want it to be known for the attitudes and the sourness? Or do we want to leave a legacy of empowerment, of unification, and of change? Do we want the wilderness that we are in today to be known as a wilderness that will change the world forever? What do we want to name it? I'm going to end with a quote again from Ruth Bader Ginsburg, that we fight for the things that you care about, but we do it in a way that will lead others to join us. So may we together fight out of obedience for God, heed his call, fight the attitude of negativity and division, fight the state of wilderness that leaves us frozen, and march into God's orders to go, knowing and trusting that God will provide water from a rock, hope in hopelessness, and unification in a space of desert and division. Amen?